Danny. And this is episode 76 of Fried Squirms, in which we are covering the Purge election year. Yes, we are. And this concludes our run on the Purge franchise up until the new film comes out. I was going to say, this kind of concludes it. The new film comes out, what, on the 4th? It does. We're not going to go see it on the 4th. We'll go see it over that weekend. We're going to see it sometime that weekend, and then we'll have something up as soon as we can after that. I think so, yeah. So this episode is actually going to drop the day before the new movie comes out. Sweet. Basically. Yeah, so it kind of gives you a nice transition into the first Purge. Yeah, and then whatever little mini-sode that we do for the new one, that will be the end of the Purge. Yeah, that will conclude all of the Purges up to that point. We'll be wiping our mouth. Yeah. Be flushing the toilet. Exactly. Our purging will be done. We'll be feeling good about ourselves, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all jokes aside, you know, we do like to share some information on news of the week, any horror stories that we might come across. So I guess I can share a few things that kind of caught my eye. And the first thing I'll lead off with is I'd mentioned to you that on Friday, this past Friday, that is, I went to our local theater, the Roxy. They were playing a French film entitled Revenge. It was from One Night Only. It's a part of the Montana Film Festival. But long story short, they wanted to showcase some films out of making the rounds at other festivals. That's what the Montana Film Festival is all about. So with that film, Revenge, I did check it out with a few friends that we work with. And without giving too much away, it was fun. It was, if you can suspend belief... For the most part, you'll have a good time. But if you're more of a realist, you're going to pick this film apart. So I won't say much more outside of that. I do know that Shudder, the streaming service that you and I both have, they have the rights to this film. They picked it up before the film was screened at TIFF, which is the Toronto International Film Festival. So a lot of films, especially the big films, it's a way for them to gather some press and some coverage for the Oscars. And then for small budgeted films, it's a good way for them to try to get picked up for distribution. So... Shutter jumped all over it. There's some other films that they picked up along the way as well, which is kind of neat. But making my long story short with that is that in September, Revenge will be available for streaming. So for those who do have Shutter, look for Revenge in September. Cool. Yeah. So there was two other bits of information I thought was kind of neat. I saw that there's another cast member has joined It Chapter 2. Okay. And this person, his name is Teach Grant. He's going to be playing the adult Henry Bowers. So for those who are familiar, you'll know who he is. I don't want to give too much away because it's kind of a spoiler. So he has been announced to play Henry Bowers. Now we do have somebody else who's joined it. And this is actress Jess Wexler. She was in the movie Teeth. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So she's going to be playing Bill's wife in the film. Gotcha. So that'll be pretty interesting. And I did see a little snippet. I haven't seen any pictures because I kind of like to reserve those for after I see the film. But apparently James McAvoy has announced the start of It Chapter 2 filming with some Instagram photos. So for those who want to see some photos, James McAvoy has posted some of those. So that's kind of interesting. The second bit of news I wanted to share was that Wolfman's Got Nards celebrates Monster Squad, which is a fan-made documentary. So this kind of adds a list of fan-made documentaries. There's one coming up that you and I and some other friends will be discussing. Mm -hmm. But this one actually was directed by one of the actors in the film, and that's Andre Glauer. Now, he actually hosts a podcast with another one of the Monster Squad alum, but Andre 
which is really cool. He's a cool cat. He plays Sean, and he's the kid that wears the Stephen King Rules t-shirt in that film. And his partner is Ryan Lambert, who plays Rudy. He's kind of like the bad boy of the group. Yeah, that was kind of neat. So The Wolfman's Got Nards is going to be a documentary pretty much about the filming and all that went into the making of The Monster Squad from 1987. I'm a huge fan. I think at some point we'll probably cover it. But I thought that was kind of neat. I wanted to see some information, some good insight into it. There's a young Uncle Rico in that film, which is kind of funny. It, it kind of lends its hand back to the Wolfman Got Nards scenario. Gotcha. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Fun. Yeah. Yeah, outside of that, just kind of same old shit. Not a lot else going on for me. I saw a couple news items. One of them I shared with you when I saw it earlier this week. Don Mancini, producer of all the Child's Play movies, has announced that it looks like they're producing a Child's Play television series. Yeah, that's going to be exciting, dude. I think I read an interview where he said he's going to keep like the Chucky name off it. It's going to be Child's Play to sort of hint back at the fact that they're going more the horror route, less the comedy route. Apparently it's going to be possibly the most sinister Chucky we've ever gotten so far. Oh, that's pretty awesome. I'm down for that. Here's the quote. We plan to use Child's Play in the title. We definitely signaled that we are going dark, darker than ever before. It's going to be very creepy. And like Brad Dorif is still going to be Chucky. I saw that. And there's another actress, perhaps, as well, that might be involved? Oh, probably. I haven't read it all yet. It's no worries. But that's some pretty good news. That's good to hear. So they'll be joining a long list of movies that are getting adapted into television series. And along with other television series news, it appears that a movie that we both really like that we haven't covered on the show yet is possibly going to be turned into a series for sci-fi. That movie is Clive Barker's Nightbreed. Whoa, nice. That'll be interesting. I am a big fan of that movie. It's another one of those at some point we'll definitely get to. Kind of tentative about the sci-fi label on it, but you never know. They might actually pull through with it. Yeah, I thought I had better news than that, but everything's still really preliminary, so I don't have too many names I can attach to it. Josh Stolberg is going to be attached. He wrote the latest Jigsaw, Piranha. But it's still really early on. It does look like Barker's involved as well. So, Well, cool. I think having him along is definitely going to make it that much better. Now, I kind of lied to you a little bit, too. I do have one other thing I want to okay. mention. I actually, I showed you the pictures of it earlier this week. But the kids for the upcoming Pet Cemetery have been announced. I don't know their names. Mm. They're young kids. There's some interesting information about those kids that kind of correlates back to the original which I'll reserve until we cover that. But yeah, so right now it looks like they've rounded out the main cast outside of some other characters in the film. Let's see. And I have two more bits. Okay. Both of them are kind of just like hopeful in the works. They're way out. They may or may not happen, but people are talking about them, and I think they're really interesting. A couple of weeks ago, Fede Alvarez, the director of the Evil Dead remake, joked around that we'd get an Evil Dead 2 if Uruguay won the World Cup. Now this past week, speaking with Entertainment Weekly, he basically said that we're probably going to get one at some point anyway. That's cool. (laughs) I think he, being that he's from Uruguay, it's like, you know, it just gives maybe Uruguay some incentive to, hey man, you guys like the film, win us one. He says that he's still friends with Raimi and Tapert and Bruce Campbell And he talks with them all a lot, and they go over ideas every now and then. And basically, eventually, when they have an idea that they all agree on, it'll get made. Well, good. So I'm excited about that. I remember they had a poll, you know, determining whether he wanted to do that, or what was it? There was another film? Oh, fuck. I don't remember, but Evil Dead 2 kicked ass on that, yeah. Yeah, it was like, it was kind of a no-brainer, but... 
Yeah, that'll be interesting. Now, I will say this because I am a soccer fan. I played soccer. I do not like Uruguay. They have a soccer player on there. He has an interesting nickname, Chewy Louie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for those who watch soccer, they know who he is. But, you know, if they win, they win. It's no sweat off my back. But maybe that gives him a little bit more impetus for making the film. And then another one that looks like it'll probably not happen because there's a lot of stuff going on with the franchise right now. But the director of Jason Goes to Hell is talking about doing another Friday the 13th movie inspired by the character of Creighton Duke, who, of course, was the bounty hunter that was after Jason in Jason Goes to Hell. And that's been a while since I watched that. It probably wouldn't be Creighton Duke himself from what I read. It sounds like his idea is more like Jason is usually going up against people who have no idea who he is or just have the barest idea of who he is. Some characters definitely end up being recurring. You have, like, Tommy, yeah, stuff like that. Stay, yeah. But for the most part, I mean, we even pointed out when we covered Jason X that a lot of those people, according to the script anyway, weren't exactly incompetent. They just had no idea what the fuck they were up against. Yeah, I mean, if you don't know anything about Voorhees... You're fucked from the get-go. And so this would be somebody trying to square off against Jason, who's been studying him, who knows what's going on. That'll be good. It's kind of like Laurie Strode, I guess the equivalency maybe a little bit. However, I mean, the problem is we're probably never going to see this because there is a giant lawsuit going on right now. Yeah, I do know about that with Sean Cunningham. Friday the 13th rights and everything. Yeah, I read a little they bit even about had that. to stop like making updates on the game, I guess, yeah, and sure all sorts of shit. So, I mean, if that ever gets cleared up, then maybe. Obviously, there's nothing stopping. Oh, I can't remember the director's name. Adam Marcus, I believe. Okay. There's nothing stopping Adam Marcus from making a movie about a bounty hunter going after a almost unstoppable killer that is obviously. <laughs> Big air quotes, not Jason. Yeah, I know what you mean. (laughs) That's funny. You're right. I mean, maybe to skirt the legality of it, yeah. You don't have to call him Jason. We know he is. That's all I got, though. It wasn't the biggest things. It's things that might not happen. But it was still, when I was looking through the headlines, I was like, oh, shit. Like, that would be cool. All right. Like, I like that idea. I've been on board the idea of a Fede Alvarez Evil Dead 2 for a long time now. So, And I know we were fans of it. we probably get all kinds of giggles out of that. But, yeah, I'm looking forward to that, man, whenever that happens. But, yeah, you're right. Outside of that, that about catches me up to speed on what I've been up to and some of the news that I've ran across. And I'm looking forward to delving into the Purge election year. I am as well. In fact, we should probably get to that and get to... Guts and Bolts. Guts and Bolts. So here we are in the guts and bolts. Once again, usual listeners, I'm going to be boring for a second. This is for the new listeners. I decided that for all the Purge movies, in case these are some of your first times listening to us, I would break down what exactly we do here so that you sort of know why you're listening to us in the first place. 
This first section, the guts and bolts, we're going to go into the cast and crew, where you may have seen them before, a synopsis, any little non-spoilery trivia we might have, taglines, and warnings in case you've never seen this movie before and decide that you want to check it out. Basically, we do a lot to try to sell you on the movie without actually talking about the movie all that much. And we try to sell you on the things that we're sort of interested in, so it's going to be a lot of like, oh my god, did you see that guy in this? And it's going to be something completely other than this movie. And then we get into the How Did That Make You Squeal, where we talk about what we think about the movie in graphic, vivid detail. Sometimes just like turgid detail down to like touching moments. So, Yeah, the ups and downs, everything that made us smile and frown. And yeah, just all the neat stuff that we learned about the film. Like you said, the ideas and concepts that we gathered from it. It's a spoiler section on top of that, too, so keep in mind that anything and everything goes in that section. But this is still the guts and bolts. And to start in on it, synopsis? Synopsis. Let me see. Synopsis for the Purge election year. Snake Plissken saves the president over the course of a night. <laughs> the would-be president. Senator at this point. <laughs> but you're right, I think that's pretty good. Pretty good brief synopsis. Yeah. Bodyguard, who happened to be the badass from the last movie, if you haven't watched it, keeps the senator safe when the purge is even more wide open than normal and she becomes the target of an assassination. With a cast of just badasses through and through popping out of the woodwork. It's similar in some aspects to the previous film in that regard. That's a good synopsis, right? That's this movie? Okay. Yeah, and then... You know, we had mentioned, because this is our guts and bulk section, we like to segue into the people who went into making the film, and this is no stranger to The Purge and The Purge Anarchy, because our writer and director, once again, on this film is James DeMonico. We have mentioned several of his credits in the first, well, I can't say the first Purge, (laughs) the first film in the Purge series. That's so fucked up, you can't say the first Purge, because that's the one that's coming out. However, he did write it, but he's not, that's the first one he's not directing. Very true. So, for those who are interested, go check out our The Purge review, and you'll catch all of his credits along with our cinematographer. Isn't much, to be honest. Like, The Purge is what this guy's known for, for the most part. Yeah, for the most part. I think he's got some other, like, maybe some television spots here and there, but... I don't mean some neat writing credits, but... Exactly. But, yeah, this is pretty much what he's known for, which is no discredit, which we'll mention why here in a little while. But our cinematographer, once again, on this film is Jacques Giffret. We've mentioned his credits previously. Our editor, once again, is Todd E. Miller. He was one half of a duo of editors in The Purge Anarchy, so he's carrying over this role for the election year. Our music, once again, was composed by Nathan Whitehead. Our special effects on this, I have Method Studios, Pixomundo, VFX Legion, Res Illusion, Fuse FX, The Molecule, Wolverine VFX, and these teams were all responsible for visual effects on this film. Producers, once again, we have Jason Blum, for obvious reasons. We have Michael, I Like to Blow Stuff Up Bay, which happens in this film. Spoiler, I guess, a little bit. (laughs) Just a little bit. We have Andrew Form, Brad Fuller, and Sebastian Lemercier to round out our producers on this film. Our production companies, once again, were Universal Pictures, Platinum Dunes, Blumhouse Productions. We have Man in a Tree. Dentsu in Fuji. You have a man in a tree. I helped him down. Yeah, you're kind. <laughs> Dentsu and Fuji Television Network. They helped present this in association with. 
Our distributors on this film are Universal Pictures. They help with the 2016 United States theatrical release. And Universal Pictures International, otherwise known as UPI, they help with the 2016 United Kingdom, along with some other South American countries, I think some Asian countries as well, hence the name International. Mm -hmm. So our release date, we have a release date of July the 1st, 2016. That was here in the States and to our friends in the North and Canada. And it had a later release date, August the 26th, 2016, in the United Kingdom and Ireland. The budget on this film is no stranger to the Blumhouse model. No, pretty low again. The most expensive of them, but... Or is it... It's yeah. roughly the same as I thought it was Anarchy. about the same as two, which kind of surprises me because this one does look more expensive. Now, this had an estimated 10 to $11 million budget, which I think Anarchy had somewhere between a 9 and 11, so they were roughly about the same amount. So with that, it's opening weekend. This is as of July the 3rd, 2016. It made $30.8 million here in the States. It grossed in the States $79 million. And when you add in the cumulative worldwide gross, it made $118.6 million. Nice. So, yeah, so, like we said, no stranger to the Blumhouse model. This is why they're getting a fourth one. This is why it's getting turned into a TV series. No kidding, right? It's a good premise that keeps paying off. And yeah, I mean, if it didn't, you wouldn't be getting these numbers. Mm -hmm. So, to round out who and what went into making the film, I have my taglines. And there's a few of them. Now, I've got four. One of them is a string of kind of, I don't know, these two-word quotes. Okay. So, so I merged them all together. Otherwise, I'd have like 10 <laughs> taglines. So anyhow, leading off, I have, I purged. Okay. Second, for one night only, America invites you to its annual tradition. Can I guess one of them? I, in fact, I think I know one okay. of them because I remember seeing the posters. Gotcha. This was on at least one of the posters. Keep America great. That's number three. <laughs> so if we were playing Family Feud, you would have got the top three. And the fourth one, this is the one I said had a string of them. I have it written down as purge for the people, the nation, the power, your liberty, the glory. Otherwise, I'd be saying them all <laughs> individually. So anyhow, that's our taglines. This is the people who went into making the film, our producers, our budget, etc. Now we're going to segue into the cast of this film. And there's a lot of people in this film. There's a couple returning. You already mentioned one of them. You know, before you quite get to the cast, okay. there's something I was thinking of that I probably should have brought up in the synopsis. Because it's on the verge of being spoilery, but it kind of, it makes sense when this is supposed to be a horror movie podcast. This might be the least horror movie out of all of them. I would totally agree with that. This is more of just an action movie with horror beats every now and then. An action movie set in a situation that is horrific. horrific yeah. I mean, the plot doesn't play out like Escape from New York, but through and through this movie reminded me more and more of like <laughs> Snake Plissken than a traditional horror movie. It's not to say there aren't horror elements, but that's kind of what you're getting into with this movie, and I think it might be fair to say that up front. Yeah, so we'll put that on Main Street for those who are not familiar with this series. But you're right, this one is not as horror as the others. Just, you know, it's just the way it is. Maybe more than number two. I'm not sure. Um, it's I, arguable I, I, between yeah, the two I'd of them. It's not as that. much of a horror movie as number one, though. Oh, yeah. I think one is probably the most out of all of them. But, yeah, I think that's a good way to just kind of give you a heads up. So, leading off with the cast, I do have a returning actor. We've kind of briefly glossed over the fact that Frank Grillo has returned. Now, previously he was known 
just a sergeant, and they really give his name in Anarchy, but we do learn that his name is Leo Barnes in this film. So that's really cool. Now, once again, go back to our Anarchy if you want to hear a list of his credits. There was one film I did want to bring up because I said part of the name right, but okay. the complete name of the film that I was talking about was Wolf Warrior Part 2, and that's the film that was made in China. That's right. the number one box office smash. Where he's just a human punching bag. Human punching bag. We actually watched that little Vice video right. about it after we recorded. But yeah, it grossed like over $850 million in the box office in China. Now, as far as name, this isn't really like a spoiler. This is my conjecture. This, does have a, this is I my conjecture because he was just the sergeant in the first one. Leo Barnes. Frank Grillo is going to be known to most audiences as Crossbones. In Winter Soldier, Winter Soldier was Bucky Barnes, so there's the last name. <laughs> yep. Leo, law enforcement officer. He was a sergeant in the first one. That's kind of neat, Leo isn't Barnes. It? Yeah. So there's some kind of funny tie-ins, and I think they did that purposely. So along with Frank Grillo, I do have a new actress on this film. This is Elizabeth Mitchell. Oh yeah, and we'll new. talk. Uh, yeah, you can go back to our previous episode if yeah. you want us to hear talk more about Frank Grillo's filmography exactly because it's very extensive i mean he's got some really cool roles one that kind of jumps out to me i suppose if you're a fan of mma probably would be the direct tv show kingdom which he's more well known for but anyhow i do have elizabeth mitchell she plays senator charlie roan on this film now elizabeth has some really cool credits i recognized her for a couple of reasons so i'll go back like so once again in her film credits and in her catalog she starred in the 1996 television series la firefighters you might have seen her in the 1998 television series Significant Others. Then she started getting some movie roles, and some of those films include Frequency. If you've seen that, it's a pretty cool film. She was in a film that I'm not a huge fan of. It's all right. Uh, the Santa Claus 3? Yeah, that one's well, shitty. I was Even say, 2 was better than that, two and three, she was in 2. But those aren't the films. The one I'm kind of like, eh, it was all right. I'm not a huge fan is a film called Nurse Betty. Now, I do know some people really like that film, but not one of them. Now, I know there's a show that you've been binging. Okay, I'm going to talk about this for yeah. a second. I wanted to say um, that for you. When I saw her on screen, I started laughing really hard. I did not know she was in this. I've been watching Elizabeth Mitchell for about the last month. I was binging really hard through ER, and I slowed down when I got to the storyline where Dr. Green gets cancer, because I didn't want to be that sad. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> shit, right? But there's something else that's happening during that same storyline. And in that story, in the background, in shit that doesn't have to do with Dr. Green, Dr. Carrie Weaver has an awakening to the fact that she's a lesbian. Oh, how? Uh, by entering into a relationship with Elizabeth Mitchell. Can't blame her. So I have been watching Elizabeth Mitchell kiss up on another woman for the past month. <laughs> scissors or no scissors? No, no, I mean, this is... What is going on? This is ER. <laughs> no, this, is, like, this is ER. This isn't fucking Grey's Anatomy. No, no I know. <laughs> teasing. But I thought that was kind of cool that she was in ER. And then there was just like back 14 in, episodes. Yeah, from 2000 to 2001. I did have that written down. Now, you might have also seen her on the television show The Beast from 2001. She was also in a television series entitled The Lion's Den from 2003. She was in the film Running Scared. Then she got another breakthrough in a huge television series oh, i was gonna say yeah a lot of people probably know her from lost i wasn't a big lost fan I, but yeah i don't really watch prime time shows i mean just being honest here. but she was dr juliet burke i have seen a bit of lost i have lived with people who were big yeah, we lost have mentioned fans. that yeah so from 2006 through 2010 she was a part of lost 
You might have also seen her in the television series V, which ran from 09 through 2011. People like V. I always heard good things, but I never saw it. I should mention this, too, is she has been in a shit ton of television series, so most of my credits include television shows. So with that, she's also been in Revolution from 2012 and 2014. You might have seen her in Once Upon a Time from 2014. You might have seen her in Crossing Lines from 2015. She was also in Dead of Summer from 2016. And currently, she's on a television series called The Expanse. So those are some of the credits I have for Mrs. Mitchell. Now, the next actor I have, I didn't recognize him at first. Huge name for our generation. Oh, I recognized him. I started laughing, too, with this one. Man, and this uh, is a kind partially of huge draw, I, man. Partially because I hate his name. I have a feeling his name is just to get around Screen Actors Guild shit. I can totally see that, because I think for a long time he went by Michael with a Y. Well, it's... Or Michael. Michael T. Okay, yeah, exactly. All is one word. He was born Michael T. Williamson, which I have to imagine somebody in the Screen Actors Guild already That's had. almost, like, so basic of a name, you know? Somebody took that one in the 50s. And left him <laughs> to have to register in the fucking guild as McKelty. Yep. Not Michael T. McKelty Williamson. Pretty dope. <laughs> so he plays Joe Dixon in this film. All right. So I'm going to go back a little bit. I'll mention why I said he's a huge actor for our generation. So I'm going to go back a little bit. And then, of course, I'll bring up his huge role. So he kind of got his start in a show called Bay City Blues from 1983 through 1984. He was in a film I'm a huge fan of. It's a Goldie Hawn film. Ooh. It's a Woody Harrelson film. It's a it Wesley Snipes film. An insanely bad fuck up at one part. Oh, yeah. We've mentioned this, too. <laughs> this is not the first time we've mentioned this particular movie. Wildcats. Wildcats from like 1985 or something? 86, I believe. Yeah. So it goes way back. All right, now he was also a part of Hill Street Blues, a television series from 1983 through 1986. He was in the film Miracle Mile. He was in a Lou Diamond Phillips film called The First Power. He was in a film that... I watched on repeat as a like five-year-old kid on I can fucking VHS. I understand. Free Willy. Yes, he was also in Free Willy too. But now here is his huge role in a major blockbuster. He played... Benjamin Buford Blue, better known as Bubba. Bubba. And if you like shrimp, he can tell you... All the shrimp. All the shrimps. <laughs> all the shrimps. Yeah. Bubba and motherfucking Forrest Gump. And Baby-O in fucking Con Air. One yeah. of the best movies of the 90s. Which, man, I started Maybe thinking Maybe one about, of the best movies of our lives. <laughs> I started thinking about our The People Under the Stairs episode because of Patrick... And I brought up a depressing film in you guys that I was talking about, <laughs> I think, on air. And I was like, no, no, no. But I was like, damn, I totally forgot that he was in the fucking film. But fucking anyhow. He's in Heat? Yeah, he's in Heat. He's in Waiting to Excel. Uh, Twelve Angry Men? Yeah. Species Part 2. The film Three Kings. You might have seen I liked him. Three Kings. That yeah. was a good movie. He was in a Fresh Prince of Bel-Air film. Uh, Lucky Number Slevin. That's a good film. No, I was going to say he was in Ollie... Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, then I was going to say that he's in Black Dynamite. Dude. <laughs> Holy shit. Now, here's something that's kind of funny. And I use this word loosely, but there is somebody that we work with. He mentioned several times, like, you know, if you guys ever got into doing comedy podcast, I was like, no, no. It's like, trust me. <laughs> we, but we all love comedy. It's just a different direction. But I will say this. This is a film, Black Dynamite, that was recommended to me a couple years ago. No, yeah, I knew I about it when it first came out, but I fucking forgot about it. Yeah. 
finally watched it like I want to say like a year or two ago. Holy fuck! Your life was changed, right? It's so that good. Movie so good. Michael so J. White. Funny. So many recognizable actors. It's so fucking good. But anyhow, highly recommend it. It's cool that he's in it. Now, Michael is also in the ATL the film. Oh. I think it has T.I., if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Now, you might have also seen him in The Final Destination. He was in CSI New York from 2007 through 2009. He was on the television series 24 from 2010. You might have seen him in Justified, the television series. He was in it from 2012 through 2015. And more recently, he was a part of the Chicago PD television series from 2017 and this year in 2018. So the next actor I have in this film is Joseph Julian Soria. He plays Marcos Dali on this film. Now, he's mostly known for some uh, television series. He's got some cool film credits. I'll kind of briefly go over them. Now, you might have seen him in The Shield. He was a part of that television series. I was back like in 05. He was in Hamlet Part 2, which is a comedy. I know about it. I haven't seen it. You might have seen him in Days of Wrath. He was in Fast and Furious. He was in uh, Crank High Voltage. I was about to say, I saw him in Crank. He's in an episode of Sons of Anarchy. He certainly is. I have he, him written down as Roscoe. He is in an episode of Supernatural entitled The Purge. The Purge, which I looked and I was like, <laughs> I'm kind of curious. It has nothing to do with no, this no, he doesn't. premise. Yeah, it has something to do with what we've been joking about. <laughs> All right, now he's also been in a film called High School. Now, emphasis on the part high, because that relates to us most of the time. Now, he was in a television series I'm a huge fan of. It kind of tanked, in my opinion, toward the latter seasons, but he did play Carlos Fuentes in two episodes of Dexter. He was in Line of Duty. He was in the television series Army Wives. This is back in, like, 2012 and 13. He was on the television series The Fosters from last year, and he was also a part of the television series Animal Kingdom. Next actress I have, we've actually talked about it before. Didn't realize this is who it was, but I have Betty Gabrielle. She plays Lainey Rucker on this film. And she was in Get Out. I was wondering where I've seen her before, because I'm like, she looks so too familiar. damn familiar. Why yeah. does she look familiar? She played Georgina, and she was one of those who got brainwashed. Now, this makes the second actor who was in that film because we talked about Lakeith Stanfield previously in Anarchy because he was a part of that little biker group. So with that, I do have some pretty interesting credits with Betty. Now, she was in the film Experimenter, which, if I'm not mistaken, I think Winona Ryder was in that film. I can't remember the exact premise, but I'm vaguely familiar with it. I know nothing of this film, so... Yeah, now she was also part of the Good Girls Revolt television series. She was in Beyond Skyline. You might have seen her in Diverted Eden. She was in the more recent film that just came out not very long ago. It's a film called Upgrade. Hmm. Yeah. She's also a part of 2018's Westworld television series. Oh, yeah, which I haven't watched yet. I'm going to get to because I want to. We actually have a friend who was an extra in that television series. Just really cool. I was like, man, if he ever gets any horror film credits, (laughs) I know who the hell to talk to. So... We'll keep our fingers crossed. Now, the next actor I have in this film is Terry Serpico. He plays Earl Danzinger. He's got some really cool roles. Now, he, st- he went way back from, like, Donnie Brasco. He was also in Copland. Now, he was a part of a television series I do like. He was in Oz from 1997 through 1998. He was also in the film Frequency. He was in the film Hannibal. You might have seen him in The Interpreter, which is a pretty uh, decent say film. The Departed, which is a pretty fantastic film. Yes, it is. Now, he's also been in Michael Clayton. You might have seen him in a film I actually enjoy because it has to do with remote viewing, and oh, that's The Men Who Stare at yeah. Goats. 
has a lot of really cool actors in that. Now he's also a part of Rescue Me, the television series from 2005 through 2010. He was in the film Man on a Ledge. You might have seen him as a recurring actor in the television series Army Wives. Now he was on that from 2007 through 2013. He was also part of Law and Order SVU. He did a couple episodes back in 2000 and then he came back in 2013. He's also a part of the Inspectors television series from 2015 and 2018. So that's his more recent credit. We have another actor who has returned. We finally get to figure out what his name is in this film. So in the first oh. one, he was Bloody Stranger. In the second one, he was A Stranger. In this one, he plays Dante Bishop, and that actor is Edwin Hodge. Yeah, I was about to just point out, do like a major spoiler, but I'm going to hold it back. Yeah, but. Yeah. Edwin Hodge is back. Like you said, he has a name. Dante Bishop. Good to see him. Yeah. I'm happy to see him. He had a larger role in this film. Not so much in the second one. Yeah. But definitely this one. Second one was more of a cameo. This one was more of a role. Exactly. Which we'll delve a little bit into a little bit later on. All right. Now, if you want to hear some of his credits, you can go back to our The Purge film because that's where I listed a bunch of his credits. All right. Now, the next actor I have, really cool actor. His name is Raymond J. Barry. He plays the leader Caleb Warren's wrong kid dad wrong kid dad and the reason we say that because he plays the dad and the Dewey I Cox story fucking love Lockhart love oh that film god that movie's so fucking funny yeah we talked about comedies man and that one's right up there holy shit wrong kid dad oh my gosh <laughs> so yeah that's something that you should be familiar with if you're a fan of comedies now he does go back quite a bit so one of the first films i have that got him some recognition was a film called year of the dragon he was in a tom cruise film which is kind of interesting because it's actually coming up but born on the fourth of july oh he was in another comedy film which i believe you told me used to give you some frightmares <laughs> But this film I'm talking about is Nothing But Trouble, starring... Oh, yeah, okay. Demi Moore, Chevy Chase, Dan Aykroyd. We could cover... That movie's so fucked up, we could cover it on this show. <laughs> for Yeah, for obvious reasons. I thought you horrific... When you said he was in effects. a comedy, I thought you were going to point out that he's in Cool Runnings. <laughs> he certainly is, but that's not the one. I was like, that does not give me nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> no, not... <laughs> Considering they're from Jamaica, man. What you smoking, Zanka? <laughs> Just smoking. What you smoking, Tyler? <laughs> All right, so some other credits I have for Raymond. He was in the film K2. He was a part of the television series Tales from the Crypt, and that episode was King of the Road in 1992. He was in a really good film, like a Michael Douglas film, oh. Falling Down. You keep saying really good film, and I keep it's wanting great. to respond with Flubber. He wasn't Flubber. I won't say that's a great film, but it's not bad. He was in a Dennis Leary film, The Ref. He was in Sudden Death, which is a Jean-Claude Van Damme film. He was in Dead Man Walking, which that's a really good film. He was in The Chamber. He was in The X-Files as a senator that helped out David Duchovny's character, Fox Mulder. Now, he was in that television series from 1994 through 1999. He was in the film Training Day. We have mentioned that before. He was in an Ashton Kutcher film, Just Married. We did mention Walk Hard. He was in Cold Case, the television series. You might have seen him in Justified, which I believe he was the dad of the main character or one of the main characters in that television series. Never watched it, but I'm familiar with it. He was also part of Ray Donovan, the television series. And if you're a fan of Gotham, he played Shaman in 2017. So he was a part of that television series as well. So that's some of the film and television credits I have for him. 
The next director I have is Kyle Secker. He plays Minister Edwidge Owens in this film. He's got some interesting credits. We've mentioned this a couple of times now. I don't think either one of us watched this television series for obvious reasons, but he was a part of the Santa Barbara television series from 86 through 87. The reason I bring it up again, because Stairmaster Jan Birch <laughs> starred in that, I think, in 1991. Now, Kyle was also in a Tell from the Crypt episode. This is back in 1990. You might have seen him in Sleeping with the Enemy. He was in City Slickers. I was about to say, when I looked through this guy's filmography, I'm like, there's only one thing yeah. on his filmography Likewise, I might have seen him in, and it would have been City Slickers. There's a few more. I might have seen them, but I definitely didn't recognize them. Now, one of them is Erie, Indiana, the television series. I think he started an episode back in 1992. He was in the film Untamed Heart. Now, this is the television series I might have seen him in. I watched Party of Five back when I was a teen because I have sisters. And I kind of enjoyed it. Party of Five. Because I like Party of Two first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's an inside joke and an outside joke. All right, so he was in Party of Five for several episodes back in 1999. You might have seen him in Veronica Mars back in 2004 and 2007. I think he starred in that a couple episodes. He was in an episode of American Horror Story back in 2014, and then I think his character was called Bill, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, was he in Freak Show or was he in Coven? Because I was thinking I might have seen him in that. Oh, he was in Coven, was so Coven I might have seen him that in that episode. Like I said, I watched all the way up until last year's The Cult all right, and the last television series I have him listed as is he was in Confess from 2017. So there's some of his film and TV credits. I have Ethan Phillips. This guy's got some pretty dope film credits, but he plays Chief Cooper in this film. He's in it kind of briefly. I mean, he has a, a little bit of a part, but he goes back. He was a part of Benson, the television series from 1980 through 1985. He was in a horror film that I think we need to cover at some point, but he was a part of the cast in Critters. He also oh, reprises yeah. his role in Critters Part 3. He was in a short-lived television series called Werewolf in 1987. He was on Werewolf. a film... Werewolf? <laughs> now, there's a, there's a film I really, really like. It's a Morgan Freeman movie. It came out in the late 80s. It's about a high school. He was a principal, Mr. Cotter. And this film I'm talking about is Lean On Me. Great film, man. Really like it. He was also in the film Glory. You might have seen him in Gerard Depardieu's film, Green Card. Yeah, Annie McDowell, that ties her back into Missoula. Take a Gerard Depardieu. Yeah, Depardieu or two. Yeah. <laughs> now, he was also in The Man Without a Face, which is Fiora Mel Gibson's film. <laughs> he actually directed that film, Mel Gibson that is. He was in The Shadow from oh. like the what, mid to late wow. 90s film. Yeah. Okay. He was in Wagons East. Oh, I love Wagons East. Yeah, it's pretty good comedy, another comedy. Yeah. Now, he was in Rugrats Go Wild. He voiced the character Toa in that film, the animated film. He was in Bad Santa. Now, he was Thurman Merman's dad in that film, the heavy kid. He was also in the film The Island. You might have seen him in Toolbox Murders Part 2. Now, the first one is based off a Toby Hooper film. He was also in Inside Lewin Davis, and he's been in so many different episodes. I think he might have even snuck in a cameo in one of the films, but he was a part of the Star Trek series, like Voyager and The Next Generation. He's, he's had, like, bit parts. He's been inside Lewin Davis. That's what it says. <laughs> who am I to judge? Hey, who hasn't been inside Lewin Davis? I know, right? Holla. All right, the next actor I have, I have Christopher James Baker. He plays Harmon Jones. He's been in a few films. One of them you might have seen is Kangaroo Jack. 
He was in Ned Kelly. He was in the film I, Sanctum. I hate that you guessed right that I have seen Kangaroo Jack. <laughs> Give him the credits we talk about. I have seen it too. Damn you, Jerry Connell. He was also in the Gotham television series. He was in True Detective from 2015. And he was also, more recently, in Ozark, the television series, which came out last year. Now, the next actress I have is Liza Colon-Zayas. She plays Dawn. She's in this film briefly. But she does go back because there's an actress in the new film, The, the First Purge, that's going to be... I don't know how big of a role she has, but once we get to talk about that mini-episode, I'll mention who she okay. is. But the television series that that actress was on, along with Liza, is New York Undercover. I used to watch that a lot in the early 90s. She was also in the film Unfaithful. You might have seen her in the film Keen. She was in the film Freedom Land, a film about Never Forget Day. She was in the film United 93. She was also part of the Dexter television series. She was in an episode of Louie. Actually, a couple episodes, if I'm not mistaken. And she was also in the film The Stock Room. Cool. The last actor I have, there's a shit ton of actors. I do have to mention actors, actresses, but this is the last one that I have credited is George Lee Miles. He plays Irish Ike Jenkins in this film. He only has a few credits, thankfully, but the ones that he does have are fucking He's dope. also only in the movie for a few seconds. Yes, but... he is. He has a very, very quotable line. All right, so some of the films that he's been in, he goes back and he was in the film The Taking of Pelham 123. He was in a cult film. I fucking love this film, but this film was called The Warriors. Oh, shit, okay. Yeah, he was a part of, well, I think one of the gangs. He was also in the film Malcolm X. He was also in the film American Gangster. And more recently, he was in a film called Good Time. Cool. Yeah, so that's some of the actors and actresses I have rounded out. Now, there's one thing I do want to mention. I totally forgot about this. I think it's worth mentioning because there's a little bit of a spoiler. I'll reserve it. But we talked about Carmen Ejogo last episode. She played Eva. She was like one of the main protagonists. Okay. All right. Now, why did I bring her up? This ties back into the fact that we talked about Westworld because she was married to Jeffrey Wright, who was one of the main actors in the first season. They have a couple kids together. Now, another reason why is if you're a fan of music, because she is from England, she was married to the trip-hop artist Tricky hmm. prior to that. So I was like, damn, I needed to mention that. I mentioned that she was a singer. Totally didn't mention those two credits. <laughs> But that was kind of neat, so I did want to at least bring that up that I fucking forgot to mention it, but I wanted to come back to it. So anyhow, that rounds out who I have for the cast and crew. We mentioned a brief synopsis. We also like to give you some warnings going into this film. So presumably you've seen the other two purges. Now, you might not have, but if you have seen those ones... This one is the most violent of them all on screen. Yeah. I don't know yeah, what to... It's, I would still, say so. not, it's still not overall that bad, but there are things like beheadings and some pretty graphic, sometimes kind of obviously fake, but not necessarily in a bad way, like but bullet more holes graphic, and stuff. Yeah. But it's not like the CGI blood that we saw in the last one. Like, these are a lot better done, in my opinion. I think they've honed their craft a little bit more in this particular film. But yeah, it's a little bit more graphic with the violence, with the gunplay, in terms of what you see. The language is a little bit more coarse, I think, The language is definitely more coarse in this film, by leaps and bounds compared to the other movies. Now, this one does have a lot more of a political bent, hence the name Election Year. Right, yeah. Although, that's something I kind of want to talk about a little bit in the next oh, section. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, we definitely warn that, that there's a political bent, but I feel like this movie does it in kind of an interesting way. It um, does. We'll get to it. It does. So, you know, that might turn you off a little bit, depending on which slant you lean towards. Also, there's no nudity, but there there's is not. more 
like flagrant sexuality in this movie, especially one of the sets of villains. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. I know exactly what you're talking about. So, yeah. I mean, if you're familiar with Purge, the Purge Anarchy, you're going to be right at home once again with the election year. So, barring any other kind of warnings, I can't yeah, foresee any other. Oh, yeah. Honestly, like, even though this is the most violent out of all of them and probably the most graphic, I would say that the language in this one alone turns it up past the other ones, though. Like oh, that, totally. If you're going to be offended by anything, it's going to be it's some going of the be, use of language. It's going to be by the speech that the guy <laughs> makes in the very beginning. God, yeah. <laughs> Damn, dude. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So, if you can make it past the first five minutes, you're probably good for the rest of the movie. You're scot free. Actually, I would say if you can make it past the first five minutes, you're good for the rest of the movie. For the most part, yeah. I mean, there's... Maybe first ten minutes? I can't remember when that speech comes in, but... But Yeah, it's within the first ten minutes of the film. Easy. Yeah, that's our warning. (laughs) Like, take everything we've already said, sit down in front of the movie, if while you're watching it, you can make it past the first ten minutes, you're not going to see or hear anything worse. Than what what you've experienced in the first ten. So yeah, great way of explaining that. If there's anything that we forgot, we'll at least give you a heads up going into our next section. Well, fuck you. No. <laughs> <laughs> so if you made it this far, if you made it all the way through our warnings, we're about to get into the spoiler section. And we'll talk about how did this film make us squeal. God, what's happening to me? God, where am I? Why am I hearing these things? Oh, God, what... What's going on? Oh, Jesus, come on. Oh my god, what's what's going on? Where where am I? Oh gee. Why? Why? Come on. Somebody, somebody. Ah. Come on, come on, come on. Come on, somebody. Sir. Come on, somebody, somebody's there. Somebody's gotta be there. I will shock you. Come on. Sir. Come on, sir. You must listen to me. Sir, I only have one question. How does that make you squeal? Ah, shits, we squealing now. Oh, yeah, so we had mentioned before and previously that this is the section where all bets are off. So, spoilers beware. And not just that, like we've mentioned it before, we've been doing the purge for damn near a month now. This is our first time through all of them. It is. So, once again, this is our first time with election year now. And. I feel like we might be in agreement with this, so I'm going to say it straight off. Best Purge? Mm, I'm no? Oh. I'm going to have to go, no. No. I think the second one was my favorite. Anarchy might be my favorite out of the three. Anarchy's my favorite for Frank Grillo himself. The action was better, I think, in Anarchy than in this one. I feel like the action took a giant step back in this one. It did. But I felt like the overall purge got amped up to points where it made up for it for me. Yeah, there were some really cool bits that I did enjoy about this film. Now, I will say out of all three of the films, I might wait till the end to tell you my least, my favorite, and the one that I put in the middle. So, out of the three, it's not my favorite. Wow, okay. Yeah. I thought the way they amped up the purge itself was sort of going to flip it for you like it did for me, but... No, which is going to be nice. It'll be a little bit of a contrast for us because typically, I mean, it's not because we go in it thinking this way, but for the most part, the films that we choose, we are pretty much in agreement whether we like them or if we didn't like them, you know, but this might be one of the few that we have some different points or at least some ideas behind. But anywho, one thing I do like about this film and the way it starts off this time 
is there's two songs that start the film. Oh, God damn it! I wrote the same thing. This Well, I didn't write the name of the songs, but I wrote, first off, the opener. Best opener of any of the movies. Oh, for sure. Without a doubt. And kind of what I've been waiting to see in a Purge movie. So I'm familiar with both of the bands. Now, the first song is 20th Century Boy by a band from the 1970s known as T-Rex. Lead singers Mark Bolin. I know a lot about that band. And the second band... Uh, I don't know. We I don't know a fucking punk. lot about, but oh, I was probably I was I know that I was the only kid in my high school that was on the regular fucking bumping my goddamn best of parliament 20th century's masters. I love George Clinton. I love P Funk. I like the All because, Stars. I love by them all. Way, because I was cheap and it was high school and so I was like I, I need to get all the hits I can in one place I can't be like buying up their entire discography <laughs> so, no they have a shit ton of albums and they go way back yeah so 20th Century Masters Parliament Funkadelic that was kind of on repeat for me I have dug fucking P-Funk for a long time now hey, he's nothing but the dog in us bye bye <laughs> So, without nerding out too much, because we do live here in Missoula, we mentioned that I don't know how many times now. We're going to tell the roof off the motorcycle. <laughs> now, a couple years ago, here at the Wilma, right downtown, I actually got to see George Clinton and the Parliament Funkadelic, and I saw them perform one of their biggest fucking hits, and that's Maggot Brain. Oh, fuck. So good, especially if you like guitar solos. It's like, mm-hmm. yes. So, needless to say, I came in well-equipped <laughs> for that show. It was a lot of fun, dude. Okay, but that scene in general was something I've been kind of uh, waiting for in a Purge movie. I did movie. like it. It was opening a lot up more graphic. on something super fucked up. Yeah, where these movies very much have all been allegories for political situations, and a lot of the parts where they fall flat are because the characters are half allegories, as we pointed out in the exactly. first one. But this was finally like spelled out. Well, not just that, but I think finally... Follow through, too, yeah. A follow through with the premise a little bit, where it's like, the true horror of The Purge is that this is a day where all the sickos can come out and play, and you can't stop. I mean, it's... Yeah, everything goes. You don't have any protection from them. Everything goes. I mean, there are a few exceptions we made reference to in the previous ones, but this one definitely ratchets it up. It starts off, which would appear to possibly be the first Purge, because of the timeline. It's supposed to take place on the same purge night as the first movie because of the timeline. But I think the timelines between the movies there might be like two years in between. I think two But to I think years. the thing is I think the different movies might contradict each other. Mm-hmm. None of them really throw dates like super out into the foreground. Yeah. But where they do have dates, you then have people referencing like this happened this many years ago exactly. or this happened at this time. So well, that's kind of um, what I meant too by the opening scene. You would think that it perhaps might have been a part of the first purge because this is you know eighteen years later. And that's the other thing. I think with some of their marketing materials online, mm-hmm. it's muddied it even more. Oh, I see. Yeah. So I was trying to do some research on that. Either twenty seventeen was the first purge, or because of the way some of the dates are messed up. 2017 was a trial purge in just limited areas, with 2018 being the first purge. First initially, I gotcha. And then this movie takes place in 2040. Really? Okay. It is set 17 years after Anarchy. I see what you're saying, yeah. I see what you mean. Anarchy Mm. is set in either 2022 or 2023. Yeah. Which is kind of weird, considering some of the characters in this film. 
because they don't age at mm-hmm. all if that's the approximation yeah that seemed really weird to me too but that seemed to be the consensus was that there's a long time between this one and anarchy okay and that it's kind of unclear what year for sure the first one was yeah but given... it seems like that event that happened in the prologue would have happened on like year five or six of the purge gotcha huh Interesting, yeah, because by then you would have, shit, a generation of people who've gone through it. Right, which I think is kind of like Kimmy's group. Yeah, they were raised in it. Yeah. I see what you mean. Yeah, which, uh, that's, uh, those are some weird characters in my opinion, like the girls, the teens. That was one of the low points in this movie yeah, for me, not because likewise. of them, like, I thought they were, They were like, good. They were super entertaining. I like, like, I really liked how over the top this movie went at certain times, mm-hmm. especially in lots of actors' performances. Oh, yeah. Oh, Andy. my God. We're going to back up in just a second, All but right. we're talking about Kimmy right now. Yeah, we are. But their purpose seemed really unclear because this movie very much throws the political allegory kind of in your face throughout it all. It doesn't seem like it's trying to send the message of blaming millennials, which is what I would guess that their group would be. Yeah, easy. The way I was looking at it, too, it's like, all right, if you're going to go down this path of, you know, trying to categorize, you know, a clump, a group of people and do some kind of statistic or category, yeah, they would be your millennials. Now, their premise is kind of weird because, you know, they go in and they're snatching up candy bars. Right. And that sets them off because he just wants them to give it back and apologize. I mean, she was about ready to get set off anyway because she does mention she offs her parents that night. Exactly. So I'm like, that's kind of a hard sell for me on the premise she's going to come back because of a fucking candy bar. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, no, there's a lot more to it than just that. The other thing, though, I thought about for that group, though, because like I said, this movie kind of just slaps the symbolism on its fucking face everywhere. So it's hard not to try to think about these things. And because they seemed out of place, because they seemed out of place, I thought about it harder than I would for a lot of the other parts. The only other thing I can think of is they were fucking loaded. Those goddamn saws they brought out were fucking blinged out. Which yeah. was hilarious. I fucking laughed really hard when I saw fucking gold-plated with the goddamn diamonds on the side chop saws. Yeah. That part I did like. Now, here's something I want to get back to with them. This is the most unrealistic bit for me. Because they were blinging out. And because they were blinging out, they also blinged their car out with, like, these endless amounts of fucking lights. Right? Now I'm thinking first thing. Practically, if you're driving around a metropolitan area, you're not going to see shit with all them lights on your fucking car. <laughs> It's like at some point, knowing that these are girls and if they're loaded, one of them is bound to crash into something. So that was, to me, it was just like, right. shouldn't have blinged it out as However, much as the cars. I did love the look of the car driving down the street with the fucking lights like that. I was like, that was yeah. part of like where this is the craziness I've been hoping for. Like, this is the true menace of the purge is that these people are just fucking coming out to play. Yeah, I mean, I do like the fact that they're using a younger, like a youth movement. Like you said, that was mm-hmm. raised in this purge. And that's all they know. And for them, it's one of those things that it's almost like a birthright at this point, Mm -hmm. you know? So, yeah, it's my right to purge. But that's the thing. So I was thinking, they obviously have money. So if they're not talking about millennials, because this doesn't seem like a movie that'd be blaming fucking restaurants going out of business on millennials. Yeah, yeah, I would hope not. If in the first movie we had the old money, like the founding father style money. Right, exactly. And they were like Plight Stranger, or what was his name? Fucking Plight Leader? Yeah, the Plight Leader. 
And then you had, like, Ethan Hawke was, like, the next wave of, like, big money, but they're still not the established old money. Exactly. They're more like what we had mentioned, kind of like internet boom kind of money. Mm -hmm. Then these kids must be the next wave. I could see that. They could be, yeah, those insurance company money, something of that nature, maybe arms. Or even, or even these are the kids of, like, Ethan Hawke's. I could see that, that too, are, yeah. That are making it big or something. I can see that, yeah. I can see that. Well, I mean, Ethan Hawke's generation was making money on The Purge. And because The Purge has now been going 23 years, this would be his generation. I don't mean generation like as a whole, but like his generation of money havers. I can see that. It's their spoiled kids. I can totally see that. Yeah. Yeah. Polite Leader was the spoiled kids of the the old old money. money. Mm -hmm. This is the spoiled kids of the new money. Yeah. That was more like a convergence of that scenario. Yeah. And this one is... Like you said, it's played out because there's been a generational gap. So one thing I will say that I enjoyed a lot about that whole scenario with Joe, a.k.a. Bubba, (laughs) and his psychic Marcos. They were holed up in the deli. It's on Purge Night. And one of the actresses we've already mentioned who plays Lainey in this film, she gets a call because she's working with another actress. They're riding around this triage van. And they get that distress call, hey, we need some help, because of the fact that the senator and Leo finally, you know, I know I'm kind of skipping around, but I want to get to that conclusion with those those kids. Making a long story short, she comes back when they have those chop saws going at the deli, and Lainey, not only does she plow through those two girls, (laughs) the one thing I like, too, is like it shows one of the girls getting knocked out of her boots. She comes back with that little short pump shotgun. Yeah, super shoddy. Oh, I was like, damn, that's when it got violent. I liked all of it. I mean, it's already spelled out that she was known as Little Death. Yeah. And she played that out a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, and as soon as she busted Whoa. out that super shorty, I was like, is she Little Death or is that Little Death? Like Both. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, yeah. I see you hit my little friend. Yeah. <laughs> but I um, like that. I was like, whoa, that was awesome. That was violent. And that's one of the more graphic scenes in the film as well is that girl Kimmy got her face blown off. That was pretty dope, though. I wanted to see more of Little Death being a badass. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. I thought in some ways she was going to kind of take over the role of Leo or sorry, Frank's character in this film. I thought it was kind of neat. They did make sure that every character had their moment and it didn't feel forced. Yeah. The only part that felt forced was other characters sometimes having to take a background seat so that the other one would have their, you know what I mean? They have their moment, yeah. What I'm thinking about is the final battle. She doesn't even get shot, but she gets knocked off her ass so that she's not a fucking... Yeah. She's not even a factor in goddamn Bubba being... How it plays out. Bubba being a fucking... I mean, outside of the fact that she's on the pews, that's about her shining moment in that whole... And that was more like a big team moment. And it was. It wasn't just her standalone, like you were saying. Yeah, she didn't... They didn't really fulfill a whole lot during that sequence. I think she could have done a lot more, but... I mean, she still had a cool fucking moment, so... No, I mean, overall... I liked her a lot in this film, Lainey, and I'll, you know, I'll get back to that point. But, all right, I know I'm kind of glossing over some other stuff. Is the betrayal in this film, the whole political aspect, because... Let's talk about the political... Yeah. We've, I know you're about to say something else, but I want to talk about this because we've touched no on doubt. it a couple times now. One of the things I felt like this movie succeeded over Anarchy was that it let its characters be more realistic characters. I do want to say that that comes with a caveat of the fact that they had to do that at a little bit of an expense of the fact that instead they made everything super blatant. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, it was these are real people face. that are just in this ridiculous situation. And whenever it's a person that's not going to act like a real person, they make sure that you know it right off the bat. There were some techniques that, I don't know if it was from DeMonaco or from Giffrets, but one of those two gentlemen had a vision on, on how to kind of give you some cues on almost like who was going to be in the end of the film, some, like some of these scenarios that get played out because of the lighting techniques. Like, I know I've gone off on a tangent. Yeah, I mean, the characters are a lot more spelled out in this film, I feel. Well, I feel like the problems that we had with Anarchy, I feel like we weren't the only people that had those problems because I think they were addressed in this movie. Oh, yeah. Frank Grillo isn't the white savior. He's constantly getting his ass saved by all the minorities in this movie. Every one of them. <laughs> It's truly like, I mean, the politics are spelled out on their fucking face. They straight Literally. up say the NRA a couple times, along with the NFFA, of course, being the, course. the fictional organization of the New Founding Fathers, who are using mercenaries done up straight up as fucking white supremacists. It has it on one of the guys, like his flak jackets or whatever the fuck he's wearing, white power. It's like yeah, it's they out, man. The guy, yeah, they have their fucking swastikas, Confederate yeah, flags, everything. I can't remember the name of the other thing. The, the one that's not what quite a swastika. But oh, I can tell you. I don't know. You know the one I know I'm talking exactly about. What you're talking though, about. Yeah. But they mean they have the iron crosses and all that shit. So it's spelled out who these people are and um, what they represent. What I thought was a surprise, but shouldn't be, considering this came out in the 2016 election year. Oh yeah, was that. The America Gang, I don't know what to fucking call them, was primarily Russians. Oh, yeah, I mean... <laughs> Holy shit. Like... <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of Do you want to poke things. fun at what's going on, right? I mean, I thought it was awesome because right. art should be a reflection of culture and society right. and what's it going is. It's, on. It's a unique way of satirizing, whether it's politics or just modern-day topics, society in general... Yeah, I mean, that's kind of like... I was thinking that, too. Now, I like the premise that they were having foreigners or people from different countries coming to the United States to purge. Like, they had tourism killers, basically. I, I do they didn't feel like play that... them out a lot, but they played, you're right, the Russians out. I feel like that should have been played out a little bit differently, though, because having the immigrants come in as murder tourists kind of reinforces the immigrants are bad message. It does. I mean, it really does, like... You're bringing the worst. Over. Where what I think demonic, I, I mean, and I don't know. I don't know the cat, obviously. Yeah, we're if not. If I did, we personally. would probably be in a you know a lot different situation than we are now. That's okay. One day. But I would imagine what he was going for right. is critiquing American sex tourism in foreign countries. I can see that too. But right, in he this isn't way. nuanced enough to do so, as I we see keep that. seeing in these movies. Yeah. I'm actually really glad he stepped back. He's directing, not directing yeah. the next one. I think he gave us a wonderful premise for these movies. I know. That's yeah, just we a, talked about the idea. You can oh, yeah. keep stories churning out of this premise forever. There's so many stories to be told. And there is. And they keep touching only one, for the most part. I mean, now this one gets a little bit more into looting and stuff. Not a whole lot, but you get the idea. But they still not fully encompassing the whole night, you know? Yeah. There's a lot more than just murder. We've already briefly talked about that. Like, there's some really sinister shit that they could have shown, but this is a Blumhouse production. They're not going to do that. They're going to get their money. I mean, I think... Let somebody else I think do at it. this point... <laughs> I think that's the thing, though. With At this point, if I was Blumhouse, I would roll the dice 
let somebody do a purge spinoff yeah. set on James I mean Wong obviously they're doing a lot of shit like they yeah. have that purge series coming up and a new movie and whatnot I would love to see them let somebody do a purge spinoff mm-hmm. set in the universe of the purge oh, on definitely. a purge night don't expect it to make a hundred million dollars no. but put in three million and expect it to make say 25 30 because it has the purge in the title expect it to make 70. Oh, I mean, I, I was lowballing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But let them really go to town. I actually wrote a note where I feel like the true way to fulfill this premise would be give us the devil's rejects on Purge Night. Oh, my God. Give us villains awesome. against villains. That could be another premise, yeah. The Purge, villain versus V. Because if, if you think about it in Devil's Rejects, nobody's a good guy in that entire movie. You know Everybody... What you might have pitched the idea for the fifth one. <laughs> right? V. <laughs> Villains. But think about Devil's yeah. Rejects. I oh, mean, we man, haven't yeah. talked about it on the podcast yet, but the characters that you're rooting for that you don't want to die by the yeah, end of the movie are a family people. of serial killers that for the past at least decade, if not longer, have killed hundreds of people Gruesome and have crimes. tortured them in various terrible ways. However, you're being presented a situation where they have an even worse villain going against them, and you don't want to see that shit happen to them. Wow. Yeah, that's true. Give us that version of The Purge. I like it. Right? Yeah, you're right. The fun thing about it is we mentioned this too. I mean, it's a foundational franchise. has several films now, of course, in sequence. Yeah, if you decided that you want to do a spinoff, perfect vehicle for it. Because you can go in so many directions with the Purge premise in general. You know, I mean, really, hypothetically, they had endless scenarios you could play out. It went on for so many years that you can put those stories in between any Easy. of this. And they, it still would all tie back in. Tell us the story of Little Death. Oh, that'd be dope, yeah. What got her to the point where she became a triage medic, basically? So, yeah, I'm kind of curious about that. And that's the fun part. Marcos, he talked about being in Mexico City and Juarez. See his struggle getting here in the States. And then, like, oh, shit, now we got the purge to contend with. So, I mean, there's a lot of cool things that you can play with here now. What if his first purge was before he got his job, before he met Joe? Yeah. And he was still living out on the streets using only what he learned in Juarez. Yeah, how how Joe pulled him in. We know that Joe, I mean,. This is really getting deep into the film at this point, but we know that he was in the Crips at some point. Yeah, he was a gangbanger. Yeah. Does that Crip whistle. Yeah. Can we talk about that scene? Because that kind of bugged me. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Since we're on it, yeah, might as well tackle it. It was obvious that the guy was just bringing his homeboy's body up to there, whether they were pounding on the fucking thing or not. Otherwise, they're it wouldn't a, be they're a, Yeah. <laughs> they're a triage van. It's an unwritten rule. Unwritten rule. By the way, things like gangs tend to follow that unwritten rule. I was going to bring that up, that that felt like one of the more realistic elements of this movie, mm-hmm. is that time and time again we do find that even though it gets broke a lot, and that's how fucking bad fallouts happen, and you end up with goddamn bodies and the headlines and this and that, which luckily around here we don't see too often, but yeah. you know, daily occurrence in bigger cities and shit, oh, yeah, gang fallout daily. and stuff. But with as many people as involved... If it happened often, the amount of bodies would be exponential. There is a sort of honor amongst thieves, and you would imagine that amongst purgers, there would be unwritten rules. Yeah, exactly. That's one they mentioned. But yeah, you would imagine if that's one aspect of it, there has to be a whole, you know, scenario where, yeah, you're right, there has to be some kind of common understanding amongst the purgers themselves or groups of purgers. I mean, and that's the thing. They're thieves. People are going to break the rules. 
In this case, they're purgers. People are going to break the rules. But every subculture sort of has its own set of rules, whether it's criminals or to just, like, music fans. Like, Oh, no doubt. There's certain unwritten rules within every community, and having something like these triage vans come out and people just sort of leave them alone felt super fucking real and really cool to me. There is one scene that I liked that they did show that. You see, like, this group of people hanging out on a balcony and it has something to do with, like, you know, no purge or whatever. Mm -hmm. So there are kind of groups that are, like, anti-purge, but here's a drink on us. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's kind of a weird way of showing your appreciation, but yeah, I mean, that's just kind of one of those things is like they're encouraged. People know not to fuck with those people. And you would imagine the same as for the corpse truck that we see. Yeah, exactly. You would think, yeah, you don't go sniping somebody trying to clean up the city. Right. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I like that they show. I have that. a feeling that everybody sort of understands that too. Like you don't want that shit out there rotting. Oh man. no. I mean, just because you're out there trying to kill people doesn't mean like, you might be out there with a crossbow. That doesn't mean you want to run across a body that's been cut up with a chainsaw. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, there is kind of like these weird, almost in a sense, like these moral or ethics that still are being played out to an extent. There's so many things off limits, you know, the fact that you can do all this stuff to begin with. But yeah, in a weird way, there is still an honor system. We're going to pop back for a okay. second. <laughs> I still have to talk about them a little bit. The murder tourists. Okay. The America Gang. I don't know what to fucking call them. But yeah, I mean, they were dressed up like the Founding Fathers. I wrote down Founding Fathers for them and then New Founding Fathers for the other group. All right, no. But I still, I had a hard time not <laughs> thinking of them as the Founding Fathers. There is something funny. Well, it's not funny, but it kind of is funny to me. And I'll mention it in a second. But all right, we're talking about this group. Uh, yeah, we already touched on the fact that they're probably the most problematic Kind of like how the last movie, there was parts that were problematic with the black slavers. Yes. I didn't really think about that fact until I started looking more into it. And then when you brought it up, I was like, man, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> and in this case, if you keep up with U.S. politics, you know what the Russians mean, especially with yeah, the past Yeah, you know what election. the Russians mean. I felt like they were trying to be way too obvious. Oh, yeah, they were. Uh, by making sure that there was, well, there was a lot of Russians, but they weren't the only ones. And the mouthpiece, for the most part of that group, was an Afrikaner. Yeah, the guy who comes off the airplane in the airport. Yeah, it's an Afrikaner. Which, South Africa, by the way, what is it? What, well, yeah, well, <laughs> I was about to say, I listen to a lot of that fucking dialect because I love Deonford. Yeah. <laughs> I listen to fucking interviews Ninja. with those cats all the time and shit. I love listening to interviews with Charlize Theron. Yeah. Because she also, Afrikaner. Yeah, um, she's herself Afrikaner. Oh my god, her speaking Afrikaans is... Well, we already know about she's a baby doll. Oof, anyway, I'm getting off. Um, yeah, you are. I believe the uh, <laughs> the writer might be dating himself a little bit, mm -hmm. because I think throwing in like a, a crazy Afrikaner used to be shorthand in movies in like the 90s for like, by the way, racism is involved here. Yeah, totally. Um, do you think kids of this generation remember apartheid? <sighs> I doubt it, honestly. Do you think schools even teach I mean, apartheid of, of that course, much anymore? Of course there's going to be groups of kids from all walks of life who are going to be familiar, but to what extent? I don't think to the extent that we grew up with it, and then our parents grew up with it, of course. So in some regard, no, I don't think quite as much. Because that felt like he was just using a lazy screenwriting writing yeah. trope that no longer holds Applies, much water. As you mean, yeah. 
Well, um, not that it doesn't hold water. I mean, he's making a point. Well, I man, he but... definitely makes a point. But yeah, it doesn't have, like you said, doesn't have that much weight as it would have 20 years ago. Luckily, most of them were Russians to get the point across loud and clear. Yeah, if the Afrikaners didn't get you hooked in, this one like definitely reels you in. And I caught that American bitch, American suka. Yeah, it's <laughs> funny, dude. All right, now here's the part that I said funny in it. Now, keep in mind I use that word loosely. I mean, in some cases, it's interchangeable with like odd or something i'm just like this is you know something worth noting all right now one of the scenes and this goes back to the abraham lincoln getting shot again <laughs> right i'm like oh man how fucked up is that it's like we know how abraham lincoln was killed he was an assassination this whole film is basically about assassinations now this guy didn't get assassinated dressed up like Abe Lincoln. i was like how many times does he have to die <laughs> before they drive us home the point I don't know how much of a political bent he was throwing out with that, but I, I was like, man, that's still kind of fucked up. You want to play with a fun political bent? Take a group almost exactly like that and have them group dress up like fucking founding fathers again. All murder tourists. Murder tourists versus a group of fucking good old boys out for the oh, night. Oh, dude, that'd be pretty awesome. Right? Yeah, I mean, what do you have? Kind of a little bit of that. I'm not good old boys, but we got some racists, full-blown mercenary racists. I was going to ask that, because that's another thing where I'm just like, this guy, he has these ideas, and he's trying to present forth good ideas, but he doesn't know how to write about this, because none of those guys actually seem to be racist. You would think, yeah, they would be throwing some (laughs) racial epithets out there somewhere. I actually wrote, like, are the Mercs actually white supremacists? Or is this a cover? Right. But I was like, if they're a cover, why the hell would you tattoo yourself up? I know, that was the only thing I'm like, I mean, the main guy, but what about the rest of them? Like, the rest, they're interchangeable with like government officials or just mercenary soldiers of fortune. It doesn't seem like they're affiliated outside of the fact that they're wearing the gear. That's there was it. nothing in the movie that would to point suggest, out suggest that yeah. they were actually white supremacists. Yeah, that's a good point. I have a hard time believing that, especially like what we're talking about. And it's How not like I, it's it's not like I want to give them a pass either. No, 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 I'm no, just no, saying no. that. You know, that too makes me wonder because this it is seems a, like he can't write white supremacists, so instead he writes a mercenary group. Well, that's what I'm saying too. I wonder how much of a hand some of these producers have at that too, because I know with Blumhouse and Jason Blum has said this, I mean, blatantly that the director and writers, they communicate a lot with the producers, and the producers have a heavy hand in what can and can't be used in the film. So. I don't know if it's necessarily his writing. I can definitely... Right. Yeah, I mean, you could attribute to that, no doubt. But I wonder, too, how much these producers have a hand at it, too. I, I think I'm just attributing it back. more to his writing because yeah, he has been the guy writing... Oh, all, all the way through. Them. Yeah. I, I agree with you. But up to a certain point, it's like, too, it's like, I wonder how much they're holding back from actually letting him complete his thoughts. <laughs> they go to a certain point, and then that's it. They don't cross the line of maybe over-exaggeration or... Giving you more validation of, like, this is what this group is, or this is what this person is. Yeah. But, I mean, you can't help but attribute to him, too. <laughs> He's a fucking writer-director. I did think they had some of the dopest outfits in the fucking movie. I though. loved it, That too. Statue of Liberty is the coolest thing. The lights, yeah, I like I'm so... And it was one of the biggest the surprises for me in this entire movie, considering they were used in, like, all the marketing. They were in the posters, everything, trailers, you name it, yeah. They get fucking... The mowed. They get mowed down. That God damn. That was, I was good. I was like, how the fuck are they going to get out of this? Like, what the shit is going to happen? I was not expecting them J&M, to just... Joe and Marcos. <laughs> they, I liked it, too. It, it reminded me... <laughs> I'm probably really reaching with this one, but 
when they're doing that, you can see like the two pistols mm-hmm. in tandem shooting. I was like, man, I wonder how much that's like Boondock Saints. <laughs> Probably very little, but I still liked it. I was like, and that was the part where I saw the Abe Lincoln character get shot again. I was like, oh damn, that was kind of fucked up. <laughs> I like it. You know, while you bring up Boondock Saints, especially because I literally have two Boondock oh, Saints yeah, yeah, posters yeah. hanging up in my place, I think. At least one. Do I have two? <laughs> I might have two. It's not really a good movie when you think about it really hard, but it's a very entertaining movie. Right. Because you're pointing out the dual shooting, it's always bugged me that the poster that most often shows two figures shooting side by side from that scene, mm-hmm. they don't actually use the two brothers. I know, right? Have it's you ever lot. noticed yeah, that? I it's, I think, Connor and Rocco. Rocco's a guy in that fucking film. Because the other brother is in front of the doorway. Yeah. Rocco's the one that's furthest on the end. Makes all And that's sense. the picture that they always use, and I yeah. don't know why. You know, it's one of those things, too, like the, uh, what they call it, the Mandela effect. It's like you think it's one thing, but it turns out to be something completely different in hindsight. Always bugged me, but... <laughs> no, nah, that's... I mean, we're talking about it, but... Talking about it, you're thinking about it. <laughs> I'm thinking about it, yeah. I mean, it's a part of it, so there's something there, but... I thought that was kind of neat. I was going to get leading up to all of that with the Russians and how Leo and the Senator Roan, how they even encounter Marcos and Joe in the first place. Now, this is getting back to, I guess, an earlier point with the betrayal. I kind of liked how it worked out. I liked how Leo, he was keen enough to like see the loop that they set up for him in the video, alerted his senses. It's like, all right, here we go. This is getting back to like the old sergeant, perhaps. Like His instincts are kicking in. But they never really played out as much as I would hope with him. Yeah, they're in the city, but not for long. And then they get help pretty quick. One thing I wanted to say with that, I mean, not, yeah. not to interrupt, but when he and the senator get out of her house and they're getting shot at, it's like, all right, he gets shot. But one thing I'll say about this, and this is almost like a trope now in so many action films that I've seen, is not a lot of your main actors are going to get hurt by bullets. Like, they're almost invincible. <laughs> it's like, this guy, is, he already hit him once, and you see them pinging like an inches away from them. Yeah, no. <laughs> First off, I mean, congrats to the Merc that realized he might only get one shot at him, so decided to use a tracing bullet. Yeah, smart. However, wasn't smart enough to realize that this weird laptop that they had never seen in the room before <laughs> was probably a bomb. I know. What is this? Nah, don't worry about it. That bugged me. I'm like, oh, that's a bomb. Guys, that's a bomb. You guys should be doing something about this, They're right? They're trained, right? <laughs> you guys are trained? You guys are supposed to be, like, top-notch? That's a bomb. You should probably do... Oh, yeah. you shot him. Okay, well... <laughs> I mean, you know, one checkpoint, two demerits. <laughs> Alright, so anyhow, the whole drone chasing them, I kind of like that a little bit. It's like, oh, they're implementing an outside resource? The drone? I thought the drone was really cool. What I thought was even cooler was I noticed my second time through that when it shows in the drone's vision, the heads-up display is all Russian. Yeah, I, I noticed that too. It's like, that shouldn't tell you who's involved and yeah in a way it's a little foreshadowing that they're going to encounter them too in just a few moments but she throws out a line which i was like mm, she's a senator i don't know how much training she has in military terms or just like any kind of background she's oh like, when she oh, estimates 35 yards yeah. 15 yards up <laughs> and yeah he turns around boom boom got it i was like mm, i know that was adr in the first place i know that i know that <laughs> <laughs> I think there's another line later on in the film that was... Her original line was, turn around, shoot up. <laughs> yeah. Right behind you, it's like just a little bit above us. <laughs> like, yeah, I was like, I don't know. I think that was a little far-fetched. I want to reserve what I want to say here in a second. <laughs> My overall uh, thought on this, but... Before yeah. we completely forget Kimmy, I want to bring up something about that scene that I thought about towards the end of it. Okay. 
we talked about, like, they get mowed over, fucking little death, shotguns, the hell out of Kimmy and her face. They convince the boys to come along with them and help out the senator and all that shit. Now, they had to be convinced because they were going to stay behind and still guard the deli. Right. Because there was still two of them coming in the back door. Yeah, true. True story. What the fuck do you think went through those two's heads when, when they, they came through in. the back door, yeah. I nothing was going on, and then they come out the front to find all their friends dead? Hypothetically, I'm like, if those were my homies that got slaughtered outside, I'm still getting that candy bar. <laughs> So she wanted for a candy bar. Yeah. I'm going to take the candy bar and I'm going to get my ass home because somebody bad was out here that just killed six Fuck of my them friends. Up. Yeah. <laughs> my purge night's over. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Also, they were my ride. I hope they didn't fuck up the rig. Ooh, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Time for me to start looking through these lights again. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, in that case, the lights came in handy. <laughs> if you're looking for the keys and stuff, mm-hmm. like, I'm taking my ass home. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, they were still going at it through the back door entrance. We know that. I mean, I know that's a weird pun, but what happened to them? What happened to Irish Ike? Did you get his waffles a pussy? Oh, dude, I was going to mention that. I'm glad. There's some really good one-liners in this film, and it's mostly from the minority characters, mostly from Joe, but that was a good one. He's like, all right, here's one thing I want to point out. Joe does say this in that same sequence. He points out when they first see the senator, and, you know, she's on TV, and they're like, Marcos is sold. You know, he's kind of like a Bernie bro for her. Right, and everybody else is like, "Oh, she's just a typical politician." Wait, so before we get too much further, in case you didn't notice, she is Hillary and Bernie combined into one. Yeah, which I, ooh, I have reservations about. Yeah, I, me too. <laughs> and he seems to be Trump and Cruz. I can see that, and the NFFA. I can see that whole congregation of them being like evangelical right of the political spectrum. Mm-hmm. Well, Caleb kind of seemed like Sessions. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, that whole group. Uh, you're right. I think he's trying to point out satirizing or maybe just like symbolically trying to <laughs> express who these people are in the real world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one thing like that's going to throw a lot of people off depending on which political bent you're on. I would think in this whole franchise, if you lean right, you're probably thrown off. But I'm mean, not totally. But Maybe I, think far, I, I would far say. Right, well, that's the right. thing. I I don't know if you'd be thrown off until this movie. Yeah. Because this is the movie that spells Puts it white on, on its table. face. Yeah. I mean, all the cards on the table at this point. Politically. I mean, I would consider it to be pretty wide open in the first one, but not to. The, I mean, not the first one. A little bit in the first one. A little bit. Yeah. Even more so in the second one. But not like this one. Well, I mean, it's in the title. Which we continue saying. Over <laughs> I know, but it's end. true. I mean, it's in the title. You can't help but get to this point. And being that, yeah, it came out in 2016, which so happened to be an election year for us as well. I mean, it's a very polarizing event. It still is. I'm reserved because, you know, this is not really a political channel that we do here. But, you know, we're of the age where we're a little bit more politically minded, <laughs> you know? It's like, if they're trying to symbolically use Elizabeth as a Bernie Hillary type of character, I don't buy it. I buy it more so for the right than for that, because I don't want to get into it politically, but <laughs> I, like I said, it, it, no. <laughs> Even if you lean left, it's like, that's not a good figure to use. <laughs> but anyhow, I digress. First 10 minutes. We need to talk about the first 10 minutes in Pussy and Waffles. <laughs> It might be one of my favorite fucking speeches ever in a fucking movie. The way he delivers that goddamn boardroom speech or whatever. Yeah. Not only is what he's saying completely explicit and ludicrous, 
but his delivery is even better <laughs> than Wrong Kid Died. Wrong Kid Died, yeah. And he's like, this cunt. I'm like, oh, okay, we're going there with this film. <laughs> All right. And he says it, you know, we're going to fucking kill this bitch. I mean, he doesn't say it. I'm paraphrasing it, but that's the do away with the purge rule of the clearance levels. I could read, I, dude, I could watch that scene on a fucking loop for the way he delivers that speed. I Don't can't apologize. even imagine if. <laughs> Yeah, I can't try to, to imitate it here for you all. Please, like, if you don't watch any other part of this movie, go watch that. Because that is true, like, so bad it's good category. Yeah. Just completely chewing all of the oh, scenery. Oh, all of it, yeah. I mean, I'll put it this way. He earned his paycheck for that scene alone. Yeah, exactly. That might have been my favorite part of the entire movie. Well, you know, starting off with Senator oh. Roan as, you know, as a young girl with her family and that guy we talked about at the beginning. I was like, ooh, I like how this is setting up. And then that part's like, ooh, all right. This film is ratcheting up things a lot. Violence and already cursing. I loved all the random purge shit, too, actually. Yeah. We talked a little bit about, or you mentioned it, too, like the beheading scene. What was your random favorite random purge thing? Oh, easy. And it's one of the more fucked up scenes in the whole film. Is it looks like a group of women hanging guys and stabbing them oh, in the that trees. Was dope. And the one gets pissed and starts running at the triage yeah. van. And like, all right, now that's very allegorically old Southern white racists. I mean, in a way, it's like, yeah, why else would they be hanging these people? Yeah, it's in DC. That's a very minority dominated city. But because of politicians and money, and I've been in DC a couple of times, I mean, they're the groups that, you know, are getting pissed and shit on. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, you can't help but notice that. Lots of fucking where things are becoming gentrified in DC as well. I mean, the closer you get to the capital, the more you have to go outside. But anyway, I was like, that was a very prolific moment for me, especially I, growing up in the South. I think one of my favorite random purge things was like the Mad Max moment. Yeah, the three people strapped to the hood. Oh, and that like was this dude good. hanging yeah. out the side with a big fucking mace and yeah, I was like, like a Morning Star. One thing I, or whatever the fuck the flail. Yeah, yeah, that thing was dope. One thing I wish the girl on the hood of the car would have done a little bit more was a little bit more blood-curdling screams. It looked mm-hmm. like two of her friends were already killed. Yeah. And she was going on a joyride. <laughs> but I did like that. I like the guy having his little survival of the fittest moment. They had a oh, boy out there yeah. giving that little speech. It's like, all right, that's good. You could do a miniseries on that guy. Uh, the singing lady was pretty creepy. Yeah, she had a dude on fire. I was wondering if there was anything associated with that, outside of the fact that it was just a random, bizarre moment. I was kind of curious who those people were that were hoping that Leo and the senator would have got, like, axed in half, it looked like. He'd set that booby trap, and they're like, oh! I was like, hold on, we're having a, an anarchy moment here with the rich people, like, betting on this stuff? That was great. There's I don't even know if that was people. rich people. I feel like... They're just alleyway people. <laughs> this sounds fucked up, but I think I know who you are if you're listening to this. Like, I have friends that would be those people that are like, you know, I'm not going to actively try to kill somebody, but if somebody's outside, then they're playing the game, so I'm going to turn this into, like, a fucking Mario level for a second. Yeah, dude. If they get by it, cool. If not, like, whatever. Yeah, I mean... if they're out there, they're playing, so... Exactly. I mean, you're right. It's like, I'm not 100% purging, but I will set the traps... (laughs) In a weird way, it's kind of still really saving your up, ass. But I feel, it's really fucked up, but I feel like I know people who would maybe do that oh, like at least one year. I'm like. sure we... Uh, <laughs> now I'm going to take the fifth for a minute. But I would say, you know, it's a possibility. If you get close enough to in, inside where I'm at, I might set some booby traps, Kevin McAllister <laughs> style. Some Home Alone shit there. I did like that. That was kind of neat. But yeah, I think overall, like you were talking about the street scenes or just the random purge moments. 
the beheading was cool. I liked it. And I did like the white girls and white sheets stabbing those dudes. I was like, ooh, that's fucked up. I mean, speaking of our friends for a moment, I can't remember if I mentioned this last episode or not. I meant to. I mean, I meant to mention this from the beginning, but I keep getting too fucking stoned. <laughs> One of the weirdest compliments I ever got involved the purge. Yeah. I decided to take it as a compliment because of who it was coming from and the fact that it was just part of the overall weird conversation we were having while at work. Our buddy Patrick told me once that he thought I'd be really good at the purge. <laughs> oh, damn. That is a compliment, given the facts that we know now. Oh, man. All right. I'm not going to mention names or like how they were associated with me, but I discussed with somebody over the weekend, not a coworker, perhaps a family member, <laughs> but they were like, uh, maybe the purge is not a bad idea. And I was like, you got way too many guns to be saying that kind of shit. <laughs> but I know how they lean politically and stuff like that too. So it wasn't kind of a surprise, but you know, now seeing watching all these films, I know this is like taking a big leap here, but in a weird way, it's like, there's so much murder and shit. I'm not saying that that's right, but it wouldn't surprise me if it ever came to that point, depending on how far we get into our politics. But given the scenario, if it were to happen, I'd find my way out of it somehow. I wouldn't participate. There's no way. Not unless, yeah. you know, my life were in danger. That's the only way. But there would be an involuntary action. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. But given scenarios, it's like, I understand where the person's coming from. We all had the idea, of, you know, like, man, this motherfucker, <laughs> you know, this motherfucker. if I could snap necks and put them in a different reality <laughs> for me, unless I had some kind of weird mental breakdown or an episode or whatever, it's just not in me, yeah. you know, it's just not, it doesn't mean I don't like the premise, <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So that's kind of what I'm getting with that. But I guess a few other points I want to make with this film, what I was talking about the lighting effects they use certain characters, especially earlier in the film. You know that these are good people because it's like more well lit. Things are a lot well, more bright. They'll frame them with damn near halos. Sometimes. That's kind of what I'm getting so. at too. Yeah. So I mean, it's almost foreshadowing too. Now, unfortunately, one of the main characters does get killed once again at the Wait, end. Wait, I was film. gonna say. Speaking of foreshadowing, how early in the movie did you know Joe was gonna die? I knew when he was going to die, when he and Marcos were talking about potentially like giving him partnership with Adele. I was like, oh, okay. I know that there's something going to happen with that. Yeah. And I know that because he is such a optimistic person, Marcos, that is, that he's not going to die. Joe, he's one of those dudes from the block. Well, and Marcos is living the American dream. Well, yeah. I mean, that's kind of well spelled out. He wants to see him. So Joe wants things for him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want things for himself. It almost, in a way, foreshadowing that he's going to become a martyr for the group. You know, everybody loves Joe, but Marcos is the up-and-coming Joe. Yeah. Okay, so how about this? Would Danzinger, I don't want to get down on Terry Serpico, but would Danzinger have been better as Neil McDonough? Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> if they put Neil McDonough on it, fuck yeah, I'd be 100 for that. <laughs> I think he would chew up the scenery a lot more, for one. Yeah, but still be just as believable oh, in that role. No doubt. So that's nothing against Terry Serpico. But I kind of, every time I saw him, I'm like, he looks just enough like him, too, that I, I couldn't stop thinking that's about it. That's understandable. It's completely understandable. He almost looks like one of the main actors from Oz, who was also in Wayne's World. I can't remember his name. I always forget his name, but... I was like, I could have been that guy too. I'll bring him up later so you, you'll get a reference. But anyway, yeah, I'd be up for Neil getting that part. <laughs> I could totally see him in that part. I found it kind of surprising that they decided at the end combine the waspiness of all these motherfuckers <laughs> with kind of a Catholic bent. 
Yeah. And a purge mass. Because, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's in a Catholic church. But I also felt the way they were doing it politically and the way that they were fanatical, it felt more evangelical to me. Yeah. You know, more so well, than Catholic. But that's the thing. It also took me out of it a little bit because I'm like, when you have these Nazi guys working for you, because Nazis don't like Catholics. No. I mean, most Protestants think They'll get Catholics down with as, Protestants. Well, that's but what they're, they don't like. And I'm like, this muddies it again. It's like, I see what you're kind of trying to do and right, right. how you're poking at these institutions. But especially with the Catholic thing, they don't really back it up with anything. If when they were rescuing the refugees, or not the refugees, but when they were rescuing the martyrs, yeah, I mean, at the end, yeah. if there would have been a room full of children, even that would have backed up totally. the poking at the Catholics. Oh man, no doubt, right? But they yeah. don't back it up. No, the way I see that, it's just another <clears throat> framing of like, oh, we get that they're using the poor people and minorities. Mm-hmm. Is like we get it, we get that point. But you're right. If they're going to use that more religious tone with it. Should have been something like that. I would have been so fucked up. They had like like 50 kids in there. It would have been more believable. And to that extent, I did kind of wish that we would have saw more having to do with the founding fathers themselves. Likewise. I mean, we know who these people are now, but we don't really know. Yeah, we still don't really know anything about that side of it. Right. How they were living, how they were getting through it. If only to prop our heroes up even more, I want to like explore the depths of the founding fathers' depravity. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I, I hope that's what they do. This with is the purge. purge like everything goes, that room full of kids doesn't have to be make them into martyrs. No, you get what I'm saying. Not. I mean, given what we've already <laughs> talked about, I mean, there's other things Catholic Church is known for with kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, this is not breaking news here, folks, but. One thing about that scenario, too, with the Founding Fathers, one thing I like that they did incorporate back is the use of blue, you know, for the blue Baptistas. He's like, yeah, they didn't really overly spell it out, but there they are. At least they're paying homage back to the fact that, yeah, these are significant. This is symbolic. But that gets back in the color scheme of things. The whole point, too, it's kind of weird. It's like they're using political bent mixed with a religious bent, but then also ethically saying that for them, morality-wise, that it's okay to kill Mm -hmm. because Jesus... Yeah. Died for our sins so we can do these things? It's like, no one believes that. (laughs) I mean, this next film coming up, The First Purge, is still just going to be even more of the politics of it all. Yeah. At this point, I want to see a Purge movie that takes place on The Purge without any of the politics. I just want want the situation. And it's not that I don't like politics. It just gets too murky when you start doing that stuff. And that's the thing. It's not that I don't like politics. This premise can spawn so many more stories and cool i get it i've seen this story now this is kind of just the same story as the last one it really is i'm really getting down on this movie for the fact that it's probably my favorite one but (laughs) i'm still gonna reserve that till maybe the very end all right that was the only difference for me it was like yeah they just switched cities they went from la to dc i mean as far as the setting they still give you those nice establishing shots yeah you're in dc these are some of the iconic figures that you see in the city and like i'm no stranger i did like how they did the purge with the Lincoln Memorial. I was just about to say that. That yeah. was fucking dumb. I like that. I mean, they could have done a lot more. Now, I do know they shot in primarily in Rhode Island. So, you know, it wasn't like they were on location in D.C. They just got some establishing shots there. The violence, you're right. It was ratcheted up more. I did like that. There was still some unbelievable moments of violence. And that was one of them when I get back is inside the church with the group on top of the pews. And it looks like those government officials are coming in. 
and shooting, and my boy Marcos was hunched over, but bullets kept zipping over him. I was like, no, he would have got shot like five or six times. Just, I don't believe some of that stuff. I mean, but it doesn't distract from film. It's just, it's not believable. What I thought was hilarious was then when that group gets wiped out by Dante, and Dante's just like, what the fuck are you guys doing up there? Like... Yeah, I told you where we were all headed, right? Like, yeah, I mean, he pointed it out. It's like, come on, bros. Yeah, how did you end up up there? <laughs> they Look didn't how follow easy through. this was. Yeah, he, they didn't follow through <laughs> with his plan. Now he did take over the role, Dante, that is, of Michael K. Williams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was uh, what was it, Carmelo from the previous film? I wish they would have shown that transition, perhaps. Yeah, or know. something more than. Just the news saying that he took over for Carmelo. Yeah, that's about it. It's like they didn't really play that out a whole lot. One thing I do want to point out, we have not talked about, was the fact that there were so many scenes in this film, not that you can really look into it too much, but there was something to it. I was thinking at some point, Leo and the center are going to fuck. Oh, I mean, by the end they are, right? Like, that's what the whole, like, bicep squeeze is about at the end. I was like, but the thing was, I think it was coming more from the senator. Then it was from Frank. Oh, no, yeah, I agree. She wanted on it. Yeah. And by it, I mean Frank Grillo. And it, by it, I mean Frank Grillo's penis. Yeah, I think it went beyond <laughs> their characters. I caught her looking down. She's like, I'm over dating Carrie Weaver. <laughs> yeah. I'm already over my experimental phase. We already know he's a tough guy from the previous film. But yeah, that was kind of funny. Not that you can read into it or if you want to read into it, but it's like there's some strong urges in this film that they're pushing back. Now, aside from that, man, I know we're kind of bouncing all over. There's a lot of dynamics I like with the grouper. I feel like a lot more resourceful. They're a lot more capable, and that's coming from Joe's character. That's coming from Marcos, Laney. Everybody involved seems a lot more capable in this film Mm -hmm. than perhaps in the films that we've covered. I still don't like how Joe fucking dies. (laughs) Like, I was almost tearing up at that. I was like, no, not Joe. I know. Like, God damn it, you guys. However, how do you kill McKelty Williamson in a movie and not do some sort of callback to Forrest Gump? I was like, damn it, man. If I had him in a movie, that would be the only reason why. Yeah, the odd thing, perhaps, about McKelty is how many films he's been in where he dies at the end. This is like the third or fourth one. Because I think um, he dies in Con Air. Yes, he does. Okay, so <laughs> not only does he die in Con Air towards the end, he dies in Con Air towards the end in the arms of Nick Cage. Naturally, right? As Cameron Poe, <laughs> who is also from Mobile, Alabama. Oh, dang. Boom. There's a direct connection there. <laughs> that's funny, man. I mean, that's something I, I ran across. Did I mention that Con Air is a fantastic movie? Well, if not... <laughs> Go watch Con Air. <laughs> like, as much as I enjoyed Purge Election Year, Con Air is way more fun. <laughs> I mean, it is a fun movie. It's Nicolas Cage, or one of his bests. Fucking Malkovich. Dude, I mean, there's so many good actors. Dave Chappelle. Yeah. Danny Trejo. There you go. Sold again. <laughs> Conair. Yeah. Like, so, but that's one thing, I guess, with his character. is like, damn. They did Joe. And it was also fucked up at the end with Marcos repainting the building. And they have the cliched picture <laughs> in the frame of Joe looking all cross-eyed and shit. <laughs> Bug-eyed. Marco's barely being able to use the one arm that he got shot in. Yeah, it's like, ah, oh, man, they are really yoking it up at the end. Now, they do leave off on a premise, an idea that there's some backlash in the country because of the election results. That also is a really interesting story that I hope they get to. I mean, there's a possibility. I mean, they, they're leaving themselves room for stuff after the fact, of course, before all this stuff gets played out. But not that they're leaving off, like, 
cliffhangers, but they're giving themselves room to move in certain directions, lateral directions. Now, apparently, this one, Election Year, was supposed to be the first purge. Yeah, I read about that. And then Frank Grillo signed on, mm-hmm. and they had to rework it. Because he came back, yeah. Because he came back. Well, two also, and I mentioned her previously, but Carmen Jogo was offered to reprise her role as Eva, and she turned it down. She just she wanted to do something different, is what she said. I can understand, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that also makes sense. I can see this as being a reworked origin story for The Purge just as easily, with it involving the assassination of a political figure and stuff. So Yeah, and I like that. I think the working title, too, for this was The Purge Assassins. Okay. Yeah, and I think that was <laughs> giving that, you know, if it's going to be based on an election year, there was an election year that happens or coincides with this film's release, Assassins is probably not the best working title to use yeah. for that film. But now I'm curious, if this one was supposed to be the first Purge, hmm, Interesting. Yeah. then yeah. what are they doing for the first Purge? Like, how is he changing it up? Yeah, I'm curious about that. Now, you're right that they're using a different director, even though... DeMonaco is returning as, you know, head writer on the film. But I'm kind of curious how they're going to do it, whether there's a shift tonally or cinematically. It's going to be interesting. The character posters have looked pretty dark. Yeah, they have. And I already know one of the main actresses is going to be in it, and she's a well-known actress. So that gives me hope. I mean, I'm excited to keep going on with it. I am too. I'm not disappointed. Yeah. All right. I don't know if this is our conclusion or getting to that point, but there's a few things I do want to mention. All yeah, right. yeah. Go. Now, I, we I don't really have anything else. I closed up my notes. No, all so. mines are basically just notes. We already mentioned the waffles and pussy. They use that gag again later on in the film. One thing I did want to mention was a line I was talking about, Joe, he uses early on, that gets into the more of the political arena. He says, she got them little titties, but big ass balls. <laughs> and he's talking about the senator. And I was like, all right, Joe. One thing, you got one thing wrong, you got another thing right. <laughs> You're right, she's got some big old balls. She don't have little titties. <laughs> That's about all I'll go with that. But it's like, factually, yes, he's right in one aspect, he's wrong in the other. Because if you watch the film closely, <laughs> they make it known that she doesn't have little titties, let's put it that way. <laughs> but that leads into some of the other quotes and stuff like that using the film. There's one I do want to quote. Because Joe has the best lines in this, and he talks about the grouper in the van, mm-hmm. and they see those guys that are approaching them under the freeway, and he uses a term I'm not going to use because I'm not probably the right person to use it. But he's like, man, he's like, there's a whole bunch of them coming this way, and we're sitting up here like a bucket of motherfucking chicken. <laughs> I had to put the film on pause because I would laugh my nuts off. It's like, he would say that too. God damn it, Bubba. I like that a lot. I was like, man, they got some pretty good funny quotes in this film. Did you watch the deleted scenes? I didn't because I was kind of pushing for time. They're not all that long. Most of them I'm kind of curious. They're short enough that I don't yeah, know why not they very left long. them out. Yeah. There's one with Joe and Marcos up on the roof. Yeah. Dude, watch it. Okay. It's so fucking good. Joe's giving them shit. They're <laughs> obviously talking about like their moves with chicks. And oh, it's fucking great. Yeah. If you like Joe's lines, like you'll have yeah, to check yeah, that out. I can't express how much I liked him in this film. I can't express how much I liked Betty Gabriel in this film as Lainey. She was really good. I wish they yeah. used her a lot more. But she was, man, I, I really liked what they did with her. I still like Frank. Frank is badass, but I felt like they yucked him up a little bit more in this film. Do you think it makes sense, him kind of in a, a lesser role, 
and almost slowed down a little bit makes more sense knowing that this is supposed to take place 17 years after I mean, I can totally see that, too. And I can also see the fact that he says that he's only there to, like, protect her, you know, or just protect people in general. He reminds me of Danny Glover in his sense. He's like, I'm getting too old for this shit. And I kind of felt like that, even towards the end when he beats up Earl, the racist. I mean, their hand-to-hand was pretty good, and I like that. He was yanking them. There wasn't enough of that for me in this film. I wish there would have been a little bit more hand-to-hand combat, because <laughs> it was good. Some of it was cliche. You can't help it. I mean, there was a lot of martyrdom at play here. Dante Bishop was used as a martyr. You mm-hmm. kind of saw that coming at some point. I was like, damn, for somebody who was in this franchise for three films, man, they fucking kind of fucked him I was him really over. glad that they finally fucking... Like, he had a part, though, in this. I mean, he and certainly that made did. Me pretty he happy. certainly did. Like, I guess we were kind of talking earlier. It would have been nice to see that transitional phase between he and Carmelo... That was still pretty good, though. I, I like that he was in this. Now, one thing I will say about this film, this is why it's not my favorite in the series, is I felt like this was almost shot like a TV or a made-for-TV movie. The way, Just the way that it was... The beats, for me, it just I feel like, man, this movie is just kind of slugging along. Whereas the second one had... For me, it was, like, it was quicker paced. I mean, this, this film is a little bit longer by 10 minutes, but there still was... I don't know. It's just the, the beats weren't there as much as I would have liked them. I mean, maybe that's just my little drawback. I do feel like more than any of the others, this one dies off more towards the end. Yeah. Like the ending does. is neat, but at a certain point, when Frank says he knows where they're going, by that point, you know where they're going. Too. Yeah, yeah. It's like, uh, yeah. If it I was a surprise, going. then it would have been cooler. But by that point, yeah. they've given you enough that you know exactly what's happening. This entire franchise up to this point, I've liked every one of the films for their own way that it's played out, their own little bent on them. It's hard to say which one I like the most, which one I don't like the most. I mean, given there's only three, you should, but I don't know. It's just, I think probably the more I start to watch them, the more I'll probably like this one or that one more. But as of right now, for me, I honestly, I like the second one the most. I liked Anarchy a lot. I liked the first one a lot. There was a lot of things I didn't like about it, mainly the kid. <laughs> And this one, I liked a lot, too. Like, the characters I felt were stronger. Mm -hmm. I mean, I did like the fact that they were giving you more of that political, probably a little bit more over the top than it should have been, you know, given the fact that it was our election year as well. But they did it in a way where it was still tasteful. I read some reviews, man, and that's, man, you shouldn't do that, (laughs) honestly, because there's a lot of people that don't like this. They feel like this is Unless you're listening to our reviews. Well, yeah, Then you should do that all the time. But what I'm getting at with that is, like, if you go on the, the database, you're going to get people who give it 8s and 9s, you know, 7, 8, 9, 10s. Some people give it 1s and 2s. And when you start reading those reviews, not that they affect me, but I can understand to a degree what they're getting at. It's like, I mean, I've seen it labeled as, like, liberal garbage and just propaganda and stuff like that. It's like, yes and no, there's going to be propaganda no matter how you look at things if mm-hmm. you're using a political bent to it because it's a polarizing subject to begin with. Also, did you watch it? They fucked some things up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, come on, man. This whole film is fictional, all right? Yes, they're satirizing or pointing out things symbolically what's going on with this country and how it could turn, which I like. In a way, it's a study of the American culture, the American society, and not only that, but how it affects people in all these different spots. And It's taking the problems and turning them up to 11 so that right. you can examine them. Exactly, in a way where... In a, like a, it's kind of like a blown-up image. You know it doesn't actually look yeah. like that, but... But you're right, it's still a way of pointing it out where something like this topic, for the most part, still gets swept under the carpet to a larger degree. They're just using a platform where you're right, they can ratchet up 
where it's still a way to discuss the topic. I mean, it's it's raking in hundred plus million dollars. I'm sure there's a lot of people going like, oh, this is something that's going on. This is something that gets brought up from time to time. We just need to pay a little bit more closer attention and how it affects people overall. If by now you don't realize that the NFFA are the top 1% of the 1%, the haves, like we had said, then you're kind of missing the point, maybe politically. There is a left bent to this, but I mean, not ultra left, but still enough to where it's like... Well, I mean, they're really, really the ultra left gets stopped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not a really well done ultra left if you want to get into it. But. No, it's not. No way. <laughs> it goes just far, like, just a little left of center. It's a militant ultra left that they show you. Which... Yeah. It's, that's complete. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it gives a whole different meaning. But overall, I really do enjoy these films. I'm really glad that we've done them. It gave us a good excuse to watch them. And not only that, but there's a new one coming up. So I'm excited to see that one, too. I am, too. I'm hoping that one becomes my new favorite one. Because this Likewise. one, even though for me it did enough of the over-top things and well enough that it became my favorite, it, much like number two, has its own problems oh, that yeah. are hard like not said, to see. So. There's All three of these films have you know some glaring holes, but as a whole, they're, they're entertaining. Enjoyable. You can get things out of them. Honestly, starting with the first one, like I had no idea how much I was going to get out of it. And all three of them, I'm getting out something new. I'm getting more insight to the people involved with this project. And not only that, but just hypothetically, if something like this played out, how would it affect people? We're, as a society as a whole, we have a lot of problems that go beyond the bird. <laughs> you know, but it's something that we need to address because it shows you things that could happen if you start going down certain rabbit holes and if you let things happen. And things that are already metaphorically happening. Precisely. So with that, it's one of those films, and I'm starting to see it, like I said, once again with Blumhouse, it happened with Get Out. It's a way of analyzing American society, told through these nice metaphors. Get Out, however, is much better with its politics. Oh, no doubt. I'm not trying to say that they're, you know, apples and apples. I no, I just want to point that out, but you though. Know like, I mean. if we're going to be comparing Blumhouse productions right yeah. now, like, this is great and all. I enjoy these. But Jordan Peele's, but like, heads that bones, movie yeah. is, whew. Yeah, if you really want one to bite into, that's the one to do it with. But yeah, this one just has a whole different premise. We all know that. But I'm seeing how they're using actors that have worked together in this franchise. So that gives me some hope. If they go beyond the first purge, we'll see. I mean, they can. We've already talked about it. They're going to do a television series. So they have something in mind. Shit, I'm done talking about this one. I don't yeah. know about you. Other than like talking in circles, yeah. Like I said, it's got some quotable lines. All three of them do. They're fun. Check them out in this section. So, yeah, leading up to the first purge. Yeah, so hopefully you'll catch us with that. And hopefully next week we'll be doing Pet Cemetery, but we don't know for sure. We're going to try to make it happen. But we have some fallback plans. We have fallbacks, and maybe we'll talk about that more in a few minutes, too. No doubt. Now that I'm saying Pet Cemetery next week out loud, I feel like we didn't give the other guys enough notice going into this episode. Right on. So maybe we'll plan a fallback instead first. So that gives him some time to prep, perhaps. Either way, we'll figure this out. Yeah, it's uh, In order to keep listening to that, please hit subscribe however you're listening to us right now. If you don't like how you're listening to us right now, you can always head over to our website, www.friedsquirms.com. There are links up at the top. You can always stream us down at the bottom. You can click over to any one of our episodes, check out our archive, follow us on Facebook, Fried Squirms, Twitter, at Fried Squirms, and Instagram, Fried Squirms Podcast. Oh, yeah. We like tweeting, we like pictures. You can always email us, squirmcast at gmail.com, or use the contact on our website. And we do know they work, both of them. So thank you for those who still message us. 
We love and we look you. forward to yeah, we look forward to new messages. If you podcast, if you're just a fan or a casual listener, don't be afraid to holler at us. Start getting ready for Pet Cemetery. It's happening soon. Oh, it's going to happen. Even if it doesn't happen next week, it's happening soon. Let's... Oh, for sure. I'm ready for it. All right. I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried squirms out. <laughs> <laughs>